Hey Swamp, I hope this letter finds you well. It's your friend from Washington again. I can't thank you enough for reading my last letter. Seeing so many kind words of support and the request for an update mean more than you can imagine. It gave me the courage to finally tell my wife everything, and while it was a difficult conversation, the relief that came with it made me feel 20 years younger. I'm sorry I can't use real names, but where the internet is concerned, there's really no such thing as too careful. Hopefully, I can make it up to the swamp with some new information. The first thing you should know is Amy resigned. I miss her, but I'm glad she's not in danger anymore. Do you remember how worried I was at the end of my last letter? For those who don't know, she had recurring nightmares, where she was reliving her encounter with the creature. At first it was the same, but when the monster should have disappeared, it turned to face her. It even began walking towards her, getting a little closer each night until it was only a few feet away. The nightmare she had next was so bad, her wife told Rick to trash everything left in her locker because she was not coming for it. There wasn't much there, just some pictures and a few basics, but it felt wrong to throw them away. I drove to Amy's after work, expecting to leave her box by the door, but when I got out of the car, her wife was waving to me. Thanks for going through the trouble. Can you stay for some coffee? She asked, already leading me inside. The nightmare that finally made, Amy quit gives me chills to write. This time, she was face to face with the creature, its mouth inches from her own, and it began whistling a sad, eerie tune she could not identify. The sound made her feel safe and calm, but after waking, she realized it was more like hypnosis. Is it an extension of the monster's abilities or the result of psychological trauma? Yes, she said the eyes looked the same as what we saw on camera, but I had previously described the eye I saw. It's easy for our minds to warp images into what we expect to see. I've spent an unhealthy amount of time fixated on this, and I'm fairly comfortable with my personal conclusion. Though, please keep in mind this is purely my theory. The night she saw the creature standing over that little girl, her brain realized an important detail, and the nightmares were its way of relaying that information. Now that it has, it's finished. Those whistles seem to have a literal hypnotic effect. But if that's true, who knows if it can hold sway over our dreams? I admit, my judgment is biased. I hate thinking the creature could appear in my dreams, or that it could potentially regain control over my friends. We didn't have anyone to cover for Amy the first night, so Ranger Rick himself partnered with me for the shift. I don't think he's a bad guy. I was admittedly spiteful about the withheld information, but now that I understand more about what he does, it's hard to blame him. He's following orders, just like me. He needs a paycheck, just like me. The problems we have at night are also happening during the day. It's not like they're walking around in sunshine and daisies while we're fighting monsters in the dark. The guests are also much more active during their shift, which makes it much harder to keep track of people in their territory. Apparently this kind of stuff has been happening for as long as anyone remembers, but never so blatantly as what we've been experiencing recently. The last few months specifically are making Rick's mysterious bosses quite nervous, and frankly, the way he refers to them as management 
makes me quite nervous. Okay, maybe it doesn't sound as sinister when you read it, but it sounds something very men in blacky, something with conspiratorial inflection, if you get what I mean. Normally, there are entire decades where literally nothing happens. Then, they'll have a cluster of disappearances and accidents for a few months. The cycle was always the same. Until now. This time it's not stopping, and no one knows what to do. Even Rick isn't sure if management knows what the creature actually is. But the rangers call it the Whistler. Fair enough, I suppose. Most of the stories he shared were the same, but none was more particularly chilling than the one that took place his rookie year in the 1990s when he was responding to reports of black bears near the lodges. Back then, there were only a few cabins on each side of the lake. When this incident took place, one was occupied by a family of five, and a young couple was staying on the opposite bank. The order came at the end of a dark, drizzly day, and the real storm was due to start any minute. There hadn't been a Whistler sighting in eight years, and nothing about this report raised any flags when the senior rangers passed it off to Rick. He drove a golf cart to the lake and was greeted by the family waving from a window. They were afraid to come out for some reason. Rick joined them and listened with growing apprehension as the storm began in earnest. It started with a large black animal trying to open the metal trash cans. Mr. Gordon used his air horn to scare the beast away, but instead of fleeing it turned to face him, rising to its full height and glaring angrily. That's when he saw that it was no bear and yelled for his shotgun. In the process of explaining how the creature fled before he could shoot, Mr. Gordon's story was interrupted by frantic screaming outside. The young couple was racing toward them, waving their arms and begging for help. Once safely indoors, they walked through each room checking every window. When satisfied nothing had followed them, they were able to explain. They had been eating dinner when the patio door slid open. They looked over to see a hulking beast with bright red eyes. The couple escaped through the front door and ran straight for the park ranger's golf cart. Both the family and the couple wanted to leave. Rick too, for that matter. But the weather made it easier said than done. The storm knocked out the phone line, and there was no response on the radio. Even if everyone could somehow fit into the small cart, it would be incredibly dangerous to drive in this weather. The weather reports had only warned against heavy rain, but in a span of just a few minutes it developed into tree-bending gusts of wind, lightning streaked across the sky, cracks of thunder shook the walls, and there was a frightening threat of tornado activity as the temperature dropped drastically. Rick was out of his depth and terrified, but he couldn't show it. He had to be in charge. In the 90s, it wasn't a big deal if a ranger licensed to carry wanted to bring their handgun to work. Rick's 38 and Gordon's shotgun were the only real weapons the group had as they waited in the cabin's living room. They were trapped and had no clue where or what the creature was, but things weren't exactly hopeless. The doors and shutters were locked, and soon, help would be sent to investigate why Rick didn't come back after the bear sighting. At least, that's what he told the others leaving out the part where they might assume he was simply unable due to the weather conditions. Regardless of rescue chances, they should be able to wait out the storm as long as nobody panicked. 
The larger a group is, the harder they are to control, especially for a single person in charge. Rick asked the children to check the phone lines every few minutes as a distraction. Quiet children make happy parents, but he knew it would be weeks until they were functional again. The five adults were whispering amongst themselves for only a few minutes before the girls called out, The phone is working! Rick, assuming they were either mistaken or joking, simply said to make sure no one else used it. The eight-year-old lifted the receiver once again, firmly stating, You can't be on this line. And everyone fell into a stunned silence as a deep, menacing voice replied. No one is sure what it said, and the girl wouldn't repeat it, but she dropped the phone screaming while it was still talking. Rick rushed to hang it up, hoping he could use it after all, but the line was dead. After that, the girls were given coloring books, and the phone was unplugged. An hour passed with no relief in sight. Help wasn't coming, but something else was. From the patio doors beyond the nearly solid wall of rain, Mrs. Gordon was able to make out the shape of a hulking black figure. That's when the whistling began. It was the warped ring around the rosy tune, and it didn't stop when the creature darted away. It was gone as quickly as it appeared, zipping between trees as it circled the cabin. They would catch glimpses of it, even closer from a different window only to watch it vanish before their eyes yet again. All the while, they were moving as well, but they weren't consciously aware of being herded. Finally, as they stood grouping near the sliding doors, the beast returned, face pressed to the glass. For a brief, but horrifying moment, no one moved. They were frozen in place, looking at the face of evil that they didn't even know existed a day ago. Their paralysis was broken suddenly by the sound of shattering glass as the whistler came inside and chaos erupted. Rick and Mr. Gordon tried taking aim, but the creature moved too fast in a crowded room. In seconds, the young woman was being carried through the shattered doors out into the raging storm. The poor girl's boyfriend ran after her and leapt onto the whistler's back with a proud but ultimately useless roar of angry defiance. With the couple in the way, no shots could be fired as the mortifying silhouette disappeared into the wall of rain. The parents could do nothing to shield their children from the screams that came next, but they ended quickly. The creature did not return, and when the storm finally passed three hours later, rangers were sent to the occupied campgrounds to perform wellness checks. When they found Rick, he and the family told them everything all the way down to the whistler's red eyes, round, contracting mouth, and horrible smell. But the main point they stressed was the whistling. You'd think that they would warrant an investigation or something. Two people were dead. The creature they saw up close clearly was not human. But animals cannot whistle, especially not a distorted song. A big fuss was raised for the Gordon's sake. They would be attending family therapy sessions for up to 10 years because of that night. Management was terrified of the implications that might arise from the fact that this all happened while a park ranger stood five feet away. But once those people left, that was the end of it. I don't find that surprising. I would never want to think about that experience ever again. Rick wasn't willing to answer any of my questions. I'm not sure if he told me this story to warm me up about the Whistler management, or secrecy, but I think it was intended as a friendly warning. 
Who knows what I could have learned if I would have taken longer to replace Amy. From that night alone, I also heard a dozen examples of hikers being stalked on the trails and campers being tormented in the night. One story even sounded like the couples from Mississippi, the ones who basically played red light green light with the invisible thing, but none of the other stories came close to that one on the lake. Thankfully, I've had one personal incident since my last encounter, and that's all. It happened to me and my new partner in the damn fog yesterday. Chris had to drop out of college to help care for his sick mother. He and his sister are doing their best, but he needs to get the hell away from the park before the choice is taken away from him. It's one thing for the older roughneck types like myself, but I hate seeing the young ones out there. I know that sounds hypocritical, but at least if I died, my family would mourn with a comfortable insurance payout. His family would have nothing but more debt on top of their broken hearts. I tried to warn Chris delicately at first, but nightmares and whistling didn't faze him, nor did Tyler's memorialized Facebook page. Nothing got through to this kid, so I decided to let nature take its course. Most of us learned the hard way, but I didn't expect him to get thrown straight into the deep end. Five of our bigger lodges are rented out to families for their reunions and bigger events. They arrived over the weekend and planned to stay for ten days, but who knows what they'll do now. After breakfast, a husband and wife left for a day of hiking. Though they didn't have a specific route or destination in mind, Jared, the husband, simply told his brothers they would be back from exploring by dinner time. Both were experienced hikers who loved to go camping and hiking and doing all kinds of mountain climbing in their spare time. There was no doubt that they were already dead. When the sun had fully set and the couple's food was hours cold, the family began to worry in earnest. As Chris and I passed by on patrol, all five cabins were lit up. In the windows, we saw multiple people pacing on their phones while teenagers hauled flashlights and various supplies out to a dozen men who were hunched over park maps. Our radio crackled to life at the same time the family noticed us we were told to wait with them at the lodges. Search and rescue was on the way, and they didn't want to lose anyone else which is understandable, but difficult to manage. We stood in front of nearly 40 people and said, you can't go looking for your family members because your sense will confuse the dogs. You know, because we couldn't say, they're already dead, but we'd rather perform fake searches than admit the truth. Of course, that was far too easy for a night at the park. The whole bunch reluctantly agreed to stay near the cabins except for the ones who were already gone. Jared's two brothers set off 15 minutes before we arrived, and now three more wanted to bring those guys back. That didn't leave much wiggle room for our options. We had to find those brothers or the other three would be sneaking off under our noses. There are five trails in that area. Four are very easy and used to navigate the park and the other one is for people who specifically want the full hiking experience. Since the missing couple were avid hikers, the brother chose to start there, which yes, it was obviously the logical conclusion, but I couldn't help feeling a strong resentment toward them as our flashlights illuminated the rocky, uneven terrain. We set a fast pace, probably too fast, but I hoped the men were stopping periodically to search for tracks and call out the couple's names. If they had, we would have found them relatively fast. Thirty minutes later, that theory was dead and we were on a split path. Chris wanted to split up, rookies, am I right? But I shut that shit down fast. 
we took a closer look at the trail, and there were tracks on the left side that looked fresh. Well, when compared to the other side, I'm not very good at that sort of thing, but I happened to be right on this occasion. We walked for another five minutes before beginning to hear faint voices in the distance. Soon, we could understand their words. They were calling for Jared and Emily. It was the brothers. We had been ready to collapse after the ridiculous pace we kept, but finding them gave us a second wind. I shouted their names as we ran, and almost didn't notice the wisp of fog at our feet. My heart dropped into the stomach, like a lead weight, and I came to a dead stop grabbing Chris as I did so. We fell to the ground in a tangle, but it didn't matter. I ignored him continuing calling for the brothers while struggling back to my feet. The rookie didn't understand what was happening, but he followed me in silence as I crept around the next curve and saw huge clouds of pouring white fog enveloping the trees. Roughly 20 feet ahead, the brothers were standing half-shrouded in it already. In my desperation to get them away, I said something horribly misleading. We have very important news about your brother. Please come with us. I screamed so loud my voice cracked. The shadowy figures turned their heads and my eyes filled with tears of relief when they began walking towards us, away from the goddamn fog. Before they reached us, though, I began walking back. I had to keep us moving so we wouldn't stop and miss anything. We couldn't stop and discuss. We had to keep going. I didn't plan to stop until we were indoors, but not long after passing where the road split, the brothers didn't leave me much of a choice. They refused to go any further without an explanation. No matter how desperate I was to get them away from there, I just couldn't bring myself to keep their hopes any higher. When your mother needs you, didn't work, I tried. They were spotted near one of the mountain trails a few hours ago. That one did the trick. They resumed walking and I happily did the same. Then Chris opened his mouth and I've never wanted to punch someone so badly in my entire life. You fellas go ahead. I'm going to make sure Mrs. Robinson didn't get lost in this fog. He ran off ignoring every word I said as he went. Who the hell is Mrs. Robinson? You may ask. Oh, she's the imaginary lady we need to check on when a particularly chatty guest doesn't want to let us go. We don't do it often. But you gotta remember we're working night shifts, and if somebody is holding us for a random 30-minute conversation at 3am, you can bet it's a freaking weird one. Hell, some of them would probably fit in on this channel, but I'm not trying to drag you guys along on a tangent. The point is, I couldn't let the fool run off alone, so I had to send the brothers ahead and chase after him. One of the first things I ever said to you guys were just regular people, and that certainly hasn't changed. I followed my partner because he was in danger and I couldn't leave him behind. That being said, I couldn't walk into that fog either. I stopped before reaching the low wispy edges that fanned out around the wall. I begged him to turn back. The last speck of his silhouette was fading, and I knew he was gone forever the moment it did. Then, there was a low, monstrous growl that felt like the sound itself was wind, blowing beneath my skin and through my bones. Tears were already falling down my cheeks as I thought of his sick mother and how his sister would be all alone. The tiny speck of Chris that was left in my peripherals. Chris was magnified through my blurry vision, and even as it continued growing, I thought nothing of it until the screaming began. It wasn't a death wail. It was the terrified scream of a man who saw something absolutely horrible, and it made me smile. Soon Chris will be beyond that wall still screaming, and the utter look of relief that crossed his face upon seeing me made him look six years old. 
However, briefly, it was gone in the same instant, replaced by guilt and shame. He almost fell while trying to look back, and only then did I realize the big question. The one you guys are probably going to ask immediately. Is something chasing him? No, it wasn't. Not this time, but he might not be so lucky next time. Or me either, for that matter. We radioed the others that we were heading back, and Chris stared at his feet while trying to explain he would never, never ever have forgiven himself if they turned those brothers away. And it cost the hikers their own lives. I already knew that. That's why we all pull stupid stunts in the beginning. But I wanted to know what happened in the fog. He only intended to walk straight for a few minutes, but it was less than 60 seconds when the ground suddenly disappeared along with everything below his knees. The fog was too thick to even see his outstretched hand, and that was enough to make him turn back, except as he did something heavy, suddenly ran several steps toward him. Chris jumped, spinning around as he searched for the source, but there was only fog everywhere he looked. Even worse, he lost his sense of direction and had no clue which way he had originally been facing. Scared of going the wrong way, he stood in place and called to me, but I never heard him. While listening for a response, he took a few steps forward and noticed it was slightly easier to see. Wanting to be out of the fog more than anything, he went a little further until the ground was visible again. That's when he heard a crunching sound, like a dog with a bone, and the occasional meaty rip. That's when he saw it. The whistler sucked up an intestine like spaghetti, but the visible body parts were not gender specific. He doesn't know if it was Jared or Emily, and if this ruins spaghetti for you, I sincerely apologize. Chris backed away slowly at first, but then a whimper escaped his throat and the creature stopped eating. My incredibly lucky to be alive partner screamed and ran away without looking back. It was nothing short of a miracle that he happened to run in the right direction. I don't understand why we could not hear each other's screams in the beginning, but we could at the end. Of course, I don't understand most of this stuff, but some things make even less sense than usual. Eventually, we passed the search and rescue teams on their way to secure the fog with their fancy automatic rifles. I bet the family didn't see it. The wall didn't begin to disperse until dawn and by then there wasn't even blood left in the grass. The family extended their stay indefinitely while the search continues, but Chris and I are being moved as far away as possible so we won't be tempted to answer any of the guests' persistent questions. I'm not complaining. Even if I tried to warn them, they wouldn't believe me. People like that would go straight to my boss claiming I tried to scare them away or something equally ridiculous. It's safer and easier to avoid the spotlight. Well, that's all I have for now. I'm sorry there isn't more, but I didn't want to wait any longer to send this in. As much as I love writing to you, I won't be heartbroken if things are slow for a while. It might be cool to research other past incidents. Maybe I could map the events on a timeline to see if any unusual patterns or connections emerge. Anyway, thanks again, everyone. You guys have really made this whole situation bearable. Sometimes, I wonder how many other people had their sanity saved by this channel. One of the other stories described it as coming home to a big house full of your friends, and that's exactly what it feels like for me.